We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Okay, thank you, David Kincaid, for swinging us into Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For those of you who don't know the show, it's a show in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, and it's not necessarily an equal part, we talk to celebrities, historians, politicians, and, you know, usually our topics center around politics, history, religion, and nostalgia. So tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about history, and we're going to have one of my favorite guests on, Dr. Kurt Fields, who goes back in time as Ulysses Simpson Grant, and we're going to go back to the time of 1868 in the presidential campaign of 1868 and the issues facing General Grant as he becomes President Grant in 1868. And if you want to see General Grant in person, try the Civil War Roundtable on Monday, April, uh, I'm sorry, Monday, March 12th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. And you can get reservations by calling at 718-341-341. Nine eight one one. I just got thrown off because I heard a dog barking. Yes, that's Otto. He wants to be on the show tonight, so I'm sorry. We're we're in Bay Ridge, everybody. Hello, hello. And Otto is here, and he wants to be on the show too. Well, in any event, three West Fifty First Street on on March twelfth. <laughs> Cost for members is fifty dollars. Non members sixty dollars. But you got to call for reservations at seven one eight. Three four one nine eight one one. Hopefully by Monday or Tuesday. So it's a great show, and Kurt Kurt Fields is is worth the price of admission by himself. So I look forward to it very much, and I hope we have a pretty good grad to uh, to meet Kurt. Now getting back to uh, estate planning, elder law, Beth. I think you have a couple of uh, estate do. planning questions. Yes, I do, and I have one that you know, is it touches my heart because of our auto. But it's, Dear Mr. Connors, I'm an elderly widow who needs to work on my estate. The only thing that I'm worried about is what will happen to my dog, Susie, when something happens to me. I would be heartbroken if she is put to sleep. Please, can you help me, Margaret? Okay, well, the answer is we've got to make some kind of plan, and the main plan is who's going to take care of Susie after you're gone. Now, I know a number of different organizations that do provide, you know, care to pets, animals after a person is gone and will will place them, whatever, and will not euthanize them. And, you know, I know that's important to a lot of people, that we want to have a plan in place for the pets. There are a lot of different organizations that try to do their best to take care of the pets, there are a lot of people out there who will try to do the best to take care of your pets. So, you know, our our job is to try to put those people together. Otto you... is worried about Susie, too. Okay. <laughs> All right. You got another question, Beth? I do. Um, this one is, hi, Mike. God bless you, brother. Mike, 
is a will something that can override probate? My husband and I are 68. We're not endowed with a lot of money saved, but we do have some things, some monies, some important things we want to be sure are accessible to our adult kids and grandkids when we pass. Mike, what is the least expensive way to make this happen in writing? And would you take on this task, of course, for the fee you charge? Linda, sister in him. Okay, Linda, I'd be very pleased to, and God bless you, you know, but I'd be very pleased to talk to you about this. Yeah, there are ways that, you know, basically you cannot override probate through will, but you avoid probate when you pass away. There are no assets in your name alone when you pass away. So if you have bank accounts, annuities, whatever, then... You know, we put beneficiaries on those accounts. If you own real estate and it says you don't have a lot of assets, so maybe you don't own real estate, but if you have real estate, we do a trust agreement. Now, if, if, if the tangible personal items like jewelry and things like that, we can make up a list and, in effect, put it into a trust for somebody. So um, there are a lot of different things we can do. The, the first step, no matter what, though, is to do a will. Because you never know what's going to happen. Somebody could pass away. You could be in an apartment. The survivor, if you pass away, nobody lives in the apartment. The police could put a seal on the apartment. Uh, there could be some odds and ends. So the first step is the will, and that's relatively inexpensive. And then we try to figure out how we don't need to use the will, and then we can get avoid probate by having assets with somebody else's name on it. But, Linda, you're more than welcome to come in and be happy to talk to you. All right. Let me take uh, – I was afraid we had a problem with our phones, but apparently not right now. Let, let's talk to Jocelyn in Brooklyn. Hi, Mike. How are you? Okay. It's a pleasure to listen to your show. Um, I've been listening for a while, and I, I have a question. I hear people talking about uh, spousal refusal all the time. Can, can you explain what that is and how does it work? Okay. Basically, let's say we have a husband and wife situation. Husband's going to a nursing home or maybe applying for home care Medicaid. In New York, let's say the husband is going to the nursing home, we're able to transfer all the assets between husband and wife, between spouses, from, let's say, in this case, husband to wife. Wife then receives the assets. Then she does what's called a spouse or refusal, and then the husband is eligible for Medicaid, either medical assistance Medicaid to pay for a nursing home bill or home care. What is a spouse or refusal? It's, it's basically a form that the city gives out and which you sign and you say, I refuse to make my assets available to support my spouse. It sounds cruel sometimes, you know, hey, I'm not going to support my spouse. Right, right. But it's it's really just a form, and it's it's almost a fiction that would allow people to apply for Medicaid who may not otherwise be eligible for Medicaid. And we're very lucky in New York because in New York we do have spouse refusal in a lot of states, in most states in the country, you don't have spousal refusal. So basically, husband transfers everything to wife. Wife signs spousal refusal. Husband's eligible for Medicaid. Then after that, the wife should act pretty quickly to protect her assets because they are a little bit out on a limb, you know. So she might get sued by the city or state, but that can be protected. And the main thing is if you're in a crisis situation, try to get the advice. But, but thank you, Jocelyn, for calling and listening. Thank you, Mike. Thank okay. you. Okay, we got a call from somebody in Florida. Yes. Yeah, I can't how get you doing, name. Mike? Okay, hi. How you doing? Eric, very good. I would like to know how can you cancel a irrevocable trust if you're not happy with it? Well, it depends how the trust was written, and, and in New York, and I really can't tell you what the laws are in Florida, but in New York, but I'm a New York resident. Okay. If you had on vacation. Okay. So if you're a New York resident and you did a trust, in a lot of cases, even an irrevocable trust in New York can be changed or revoked under certain circumstances. What's the reason why you want to revoke the trust? Hello? Wants me to in down the line to convert it into to irrevocable to save to protect my assets against various various consequences. Okay, so you want to change and it for... also for Medicare. Okay, so you want to change it for... 
You want to change it from revocable to irrevocable. I misunderstood the question. Yes, and he's urging me down the line to do that, to protect myself from uh, Medicare, I mean Medicaid. Yeah, so you would do an irrevocable trust, usually with a family member, you know, son, daughter. You transfer the assets. I have cousins. I don't have any children. I, you know, if if you do an irrevocable trust, I mean, I wouldn't do it on a whim. If you do an irrevocable trust, you're in partnership with, let's say, in your case, your cousins. And if that's what you want to do, you can do that. You still can change it among circumstances. But a lot of times we we do an irrevocable trust every day of the week. But ordinarily, it's between parents and children. Yes, you can do it with Mm. cousins, but you're in partnership with them. And if you want to sell or change any of your assets that are in the trust, you got to deal with your cousins. And I mean, that's okay if you trust your cousins, but it's I wouldn't do it lightly. I'd really have a conversation before I did an irrevocable trust with cousins. But but they're urging me to do it down the line just in case something happens to me. I understand the reason. Seventy-one, huh? Yeah, I understand the reason is to protect the assets from medical bills, nursing home bills, and yes, that's that's a valid reason. But at the same time. A lot of people will do that, protect their children, but they won't necessarily spend the money to protect it for their cousins. Okay. Boy, I'm in, in a tough bind some, somewhat. I don't know. You can talk it over when you get back to New York. Okay, thank you. Was this, this was a good question, right? Yes, it was. Very good question. Thank you very much, and be well. Okay, I think we're going to have to take a short break. Uh, if you're online, be patient. We'll try to get to you in a few minutes. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Okay, we got a question from Chris. Again, we're talking about estate planning and elder law. Chris. Yes. Hi. Um, How are you doing? If I have a good... If I have a POA um, and I own a home, um, are they allowed to sell a home without my knowledge? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the New York State Pav Attorney forms say that right at the top of the heading, that the person you appoint as Pav Attorney could sell the house without telling you. Now, that's one of the reasons you have to trust the, the person you have as your Pav Attorney. But, you know, that that's not as easy to do as some people may say. And you can always fire a Pav Attorney and cancel it, and hopefully— you're not going to give a power of attorney to somebody who's going to sell the house without you. But, you know, as a practical matter, when some people talk about that, you know, if you're living in your house, somebody can't sell it. I mean, somebody's going to see your house. The real estate broker is going to show people 
you know, you're there and you're saying, what are these people doing in my house? Or when they come right. over for the termite inspection or the bank inspector or things like that. But you do have to be careful on a power of attorney. You know, if you have family members you can trust, I strongly recommend you think about a power of attorney. But don't give a power of attorney to somebody that you can trust because in certain situations they can wipe you out and steal you blind. So you do have to be careful. But it's not that easy to sell a house. You're living in the house. Somebody can't just sell it without you. But the power of attorney form says that. It says right on top heading, you know, your agent on your power of attorney can sell your house without contacting you. And the reason we do that, God forbid you have a stroke or another disabling illness, we don't have to be in a position where we have to notify the person because maybe they're not capable. So if you have a power of attorney, be careful. But if you have family members you trust, I would strongly suggest you think about putting them on your power of attorney. Thank you. All right, Chris. All right, take care. Beth? Yes, sir. Okay, so, you know, each week we uh, have a short uh, bit with uh, Kevin McCullough where he asks a question where if you want to email us questions, you can do that. The email question, our email address is askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Askmikeconnors at gmail.com. I'm still not used to that because I was used to the old uh, email address, but let's see what kind of question we answered uh, this week on Kevin's show. Kevin McCullough here, and every Thursday we ask, uh, well, we let you ask a question of Mike Connors, of Connors & Sullivan, uh, the leading estate uh, law, uh, estate law and elder care law uh, expert in New York City, and, uh, of course, our resident expert here at Kevin McCullough Radio. Uh, Mike, uh, Sarah writes to say that her mother passed away in January 2014. Uh, she wasn't aware of the belongings that she had. The family withheld information about the death and the properties that she owned. She went to Wells Fargo Bank, where she had an account until the day she passed away. Uh, Sarah had uh, documented papers showing that she was the only offspring. She had the death certificate. Wells Fargo didn't acknowledge it, closed the account, said she needed a lawyer to claim the estate. What should I do in this situation, Mr. Connors? What will become of my mom's money, being that the bank account is closed and they didn't give it to me? What say you, Mike Connors? Yeah, well, what she should do is open up an estate account, and the way she does that, she applies to be the administrator of the estate, assuming her mother didn't have a will. She applies to be the administrator of the estate, shows the court that she's an only child. The court would decide whether she should be bonded or not, and then, depending on the circumstances, if there are any other children, if there's a spouse, she would be appointed administrator of the estate, and then she can collect the belongings that belong to the estate. And I think that's what Wells Fargo was trying to tell her. Well, uh, it seems like uh, she definitely does need some legal help on this, so it would be advisable to to call your office and to walk through all the proper steps. And, friends, maybe you've got uh, some of the same questions. You should call Connors and Sullivan. They are standing by ready to help you right now. 718-238-6500 is that number. 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. You can also submit questions at MikeConnors at gmail.com. MikeConnors at gmail.com. Uh, and join Mike Connors 8 a.m. Saturday mornings on AM 570 The Mission and 6 p.m. on AM 970 The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, you know, I, I'm glad Kevin repeats that because sometimes I forget what time we're on now, Beth. <laughs> but it is 8 o'clock on WMCA each Saturday morning, 6 o'clock, 970 The Answer, barring basketball games. And, of course, we're into March Madness right now, so there won't be basketball games for very much longer. And then if there's no basketball game on Sunday, Sunday on 970 The Answer at 5 o'clock. So like I said, I have a tough time keeping it in here. But right now I am in I'm in, you know, Manhattan at uh, Broadway and Wall Street, so to speak. And we're going to be we're anticipating the interview with uh, President-elect Grant in a few minutes. And Beth, I know you saw Kurt Fields once, right? Oh, he's. I mean, he's knowledgeable. He's a wonderful historian, but he is entertaining. When he, you know, I don't know if people have heard actors when they say, um, "I just become that person," and you know, you better not talk to me about anything else. This is the way, um, Doctor Fields. He is when you when you get to the dinner, he will be Ulysses S. Grant. And anytime you speak to him, he when you ask him a question, it's natural, and you feel like, well, you know what? I'm talking to 
Ulysses S. Grant. So it's 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 a marvelous experience. And by the way, later on this year, uh, in May, we're going to have Ron Chernow, you know, Pulitzer Prize winner uh, who wrote the great book about Hamilton. But he's going to be at the Civil War Roundtable on Monday, May 12th, and he's receiving the Fletcher Pratt Award. So I think that's going to be quite an event. And, you know, you might want to get your reservations pretty soon because that one might be sold out. You know, uh, Civil War Roundtable, we are sold out every once in a while, so you got to get yeah. your reservations in there. So, also, you know, speaking of acting, I saw a movie last week, a preview of the movie Paul, and it's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks, I think on March 22nd, or March 23rd is going to be the premiere, and for those of you interested in seeing the film, if you want to give us a call to Connors and Sullivan, we're going to be giving away at least 10 tickets to the Friday night opening of Paul at the AMC Theater at 42nd Street and 7th Avenue. So if you're interested in seeing the movie, Paul, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Ask for Monica, and you know we'll give away at least 10 tickets to the listeners who call in. There's no charge for the ticket. We want to publicize this movie. It's a, it's a movie based on the, um, the Acts of the Apostles, and maybe they don't know who's playing Paul and who's playing Luke. Okay, well, Luke is being played by Jim Caviezel, so I guess it's a step down from him because he's going from Jesus Christ <laughs> to to Luke. So I guess he's taking a step down in, in rank. But uh, Paul is played by the great character actor James Faulkner, and he's one of those guys. If you saw him, you would know who he is. Now, I didn't know he was in Game of Thrones. My son Michael had to tell me that, but he was in Game of Thrones. And don't ask me who he plays. Uh, <laughs> He was in Da Vinci's Demons. He played the Pope. And, of course, I remember him from years and years ago when he played uh, King Herod Agrippa on I, Claudius. You know, and that's back in the, I guess, the late 70s. And I, I remember he was very, very oh, prominent in that. Actor. He's an excellent, excellent actor. Excellent actor. Yeah. And he plays, for those who remember, remember Down, Downton Abbey, he's in yeah. Downton Abbey. Oh, he was Abbey. in Down, Downton Abbey, too, for one season. You know what? We're running out of time, so we better take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to President-elect Grant. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash F. Melia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. 
Frank Milia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now, I'm very pleased to have to Dr. Kurt Fields, noted Civil War historian and reenactor. And we're going to go back in time on the Civil War Roundtable on March 12th. We're going to go back to 1868. And in 1868, General Grant runs for president, gets elected, and then takes office. And right now, we're very pleased to speak to now President-elect Grant. How are you doing today, sir? I am fine as I can be. President Grant, you just elected president in November. Now it's March 4th, actually 1869. What is your plan for the country? My plan for the country is to do a better job than Andrew Johnson did in the dividing of the country. Uh, We are extremely polarized and divided between the North and the South with the Reconstruction. And we have also great difficulties with the Indian Wars in the West that we've been fighting uh, through the uh, late war with essentially our left hand while the right hand fought in the War of the Rebellion. So we're trying to address the Indian problem with the wars. In fact, uh, I sent Uh, Phil Sheridan out there immediately after the surrender. He didn't even participate in the grand review in Washington. I sent him west. So we're trying to, I am going to try to stop the Indian Wars. We've also got a problem uh, to deal with, with the treatment of Indians, our Native Americans, the original citizens, with how they are treated with the fraud and the corruption and dealing with the uh, reservations and how they're fed and clothed, and in fact, I plan to change that in one of my first actions to have a new in- Bureau of Indian Affairs created, and I intend to name uh, Colonel, now General, Ely Parker, uh, a full-blooded Seneca Indian chief, general attorney and engineer, to be the director of that, and we're going to put missionaries in to run it instead of individuals who might stand to profit. I'm going to work with uh, the healing of the country by providing for uh, the veterans and their widows and orphans in the uh, essentially prosthetics with the replacement of limbs, pensions for soldiers who were wounded beyond being able to work, and to uh, get the southern states and the Confederate veterans to be supportive of the national effort to heal our country. And I'm going to address the financial basis of our country because we're some three billions of dollars in debt from fighting the late war, the rebellion. And we've got to be on a hard currency, specie financial basis pay our debts, not renege on any debts, and keep our credit both at home and abroad in uh, stellar shape. And the other issue with foreign affairs, in having to fight a two-ocean war in chasing the Confederate raiders such as the Alabama, the Shenandoah, and the Florida, uh, all over the globe, and in chasing and uh, apprehending privateers, along our coastline during the war, we developed almost inadvertently, as it would uh, seem, a two-ocean navy. We became, uh, through no effort intent of our own, a, a world power. We are now a world presence. And to support that in fighting the war, in tooling up for the war, the Industrial Revolution took quantum leaps in production, capacity, innovation, invention. Because of the war, we are now a world power. We are a world presence, and that has not been the case before. So as I take residence in the executive mansion, I am intent on maintaining 
our world presence, to be a good citizen in the community of, of world nations, but to keep our presence strong and positive. So my dinner table is quite full as I look at uh, the inauguration in March. Now, let me ask you something. You know, speaking about foreign countries, what is your feeling about Britain and France, the French excursion into Mexico, and, of course, the British aid, the the Confederate raiders that you just mentioned? Those are, uh, as the the old saying goes, we are dancing between the, the two horns of a dilemma or two dilemmas. Let me address first France. France is desperately trying here in the waning days of 1868, as we go into 1869 uh, and the inauguration, they're trying to reestablish their presence as a world power that they had when Bonaparte was the emperor. And uh, Napoleon III wants to... Uh, he's already established a puppet government in Mexico during our War of the Rebellion. He saw that as a weakness, which it was, in our attention to foreign affairs, uh, and uh, is hoping to come into our southern border through Texas and thrust into America. Now, President Lincoln was greatly concerned about that. He wanted to keep an army down there, General Banks, throughout uh, in Texas and Louisiana throughout the war. I wanted that army to fight in the western and the eastern theaters, but President Lincoln would not let me have those troops because he was gravely concerned that Napoleon was going to come in on the side of the Confederacy and to fight with the Confederacy. He fancied himself uh, as telling Jefferson Davis, uh, Davis, we are here like Lafayette said to Washington, we are here in in our revolution. So we've kept an eye on that Mexican-Texas border. And uh, as I said, I sent Sheridan West and and through Texas. I've kept a a strong military presence on our Texas-Mexican border. Bonaparte is not going to come back into the Western Hemisphere in his efforts to establish France as a world power at our expense. The Monroe Doctrine will be jealously guarded and enforced, and we are watching that border. So France, though they may want to under their current leadership to uh, establish their presence or reestablish it as a world power, as I said a moment ago, they are not going to establish it at the expense of the United States. Now, the issue with Britain is a thorny one. The uh, British deny that they uh, supported the Confederacy. Uh, they deny that they knowingly, uh, they're, they're beginning to shift position a, a bit uh, to saying that they did not knowingly support the Confederacy by building ships at the Laird shipyards. Uh, there was uh, quite a bit of subterfuge uh, with uh, Commander Bullock of the Confederacy in Liverpool working with layered shipyards. Uh, and there is no question but that the British did help the Confederacy by building the, the Raiders, uh, the Shenandoah, the Alabama, the Florida, and others. But uh, they are going to have to give recompense to the United States in the industries that lost money. For example, uh, the Confederate writers are responsible for the elimination of a complete industry. Before the war, lamps all over the United States were lit by whale oil. But because of the Confederate writers capturing and and, uh, sinking the whaling vessels, uh, whale oil, I expect to make an unintentional pun, dried up. So America went to coal oil, kerosene, to light their lamps. So we had a a shift. An industry disappeared, whale oil, because of Confederate raiders. Many, many millions of dollars uh, were lost. I think some 60 to 70 ships were captured, burned, sunk, and lost to Confederate raiders. And this, this was all done by vessels that were built 
uh, in England. They weren't outfitted in England. They were armed in, in uh, international waters, and that's the saving grace for the British. But they are going to have to address that issue with us, and I am getting already uh, strong entreaties from industry and from Congress, members of Congress, to address squarely the issue and uh, to extend the, the between the horns of a dilemma concept a little further, I am going to have to uh, land somewhere in the position of the United States between an angry make them pay, which I hear frequently, and a, uh, a fair and equitable uh, compromise in how much the British government is going to pay in damages and claims due to uh, – it's already being touted as – or given a name, the Alabama claims, I believe, is, is what is being bandied about Washington City. So we're going to have to address that, and I've also got to keep in mind uh, the British – this is a sore point with them as well because – uh, they might fight. They've rumbled about sending troops into Canada and, and sending vessels, naval vessels, to patrol our waters, uh, and we don't want that. President Lincoln, uh, in one of his more pithy statements, said one war at a time. Oh, the, the, the Mason Slidell uh, incident where those uh, Confederate diplomats were taken off a British vessel. Uh, and we almost went to war with Britain then, early in the rebellion. And I feel the same way. Let's don't provoke a war with Britain. One war at a time, and now that we've got no war, let's don't start another one. So I will be working to resolve that issue between the United States and Britain and its assistance or non-assistance of the Confederacy. So those are the issues that I'm looking at. Sorry, President-elect Grant, we have to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, talking to Dr. Kirk Fields as President U.S. Grant. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Adult stem cell research is nothing new. It has been going on for decades and, in fact, has proven helpful in treating various diseases. In the process of this research, nobody has to be killed in order to obtain the stem cells. Embryonic stem cell research, on the other hand, only began in 1998 and does involve killing a new human life in order to obtain the cells. The number of diseases that have been successfully treated with embryonic stem cells is zero. They have shown no medical benefit. And even if they did, such activity is immoral. The end does not justify the means. Adult stem cells have treated various forms of leukemia, sickle cell disease, anemia, and carcinoma. Embryonic stem cells have succeeded in nothing. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're talking to noted historian Dr. Kurt Fields, who's giving a look back into history, talking to President, President-elect President U.S. Grant in 1868. Now, speaking about the Confederacy, what is your plan 
to bring back the southern states fully into the union and at the same time trying to protect the rights and lives of the recently freed slaves? Well, President Lincoln uh, had his plan where uh, he would readmit a state when 10 percent of the voters uh, would take the pledge to support the union. And uh, three states came in under that plan, as I recall. But Congress, as soon as President Lincoln was assassinated, Congress reneged on that, and they made it uh, very, very difficult for a state to come back in the union and uh, in an effort to punish the South uh, and President Johnson said uh, treason must be made odious and traitors must be punished. Well, that didn't bode well for a, a reconciliation for, for the uh, southern, the seceded states to come back into the Union, which is ironic because we contended throughout the War of the Rebellion that the states had never actually left the Union. So with a, an angry, uh, radical Congress uh, wanting to punish the states, they were jumping around on both sides of the did you secede or did you not secede issue. I want to get the states back in as quickly as possible and uh, adhere as closely as I can to what President Lincoln tried to do. When The last time I... Uh, talk with the president at the City Point meeting on the River Queen when the president and General Sherman and Admiral Porter and myself met just days before the war was over. I had asked the president what his thoughts were about after the war because it was only a matter of a brief time. And the president said to me something that is profound and, and rings with me yet. He looked at me and he said, General, let them up easy. Yes, sir. Let them up easy. And I think that that is what we should do. We need to let them up easy, get them back into the United States, and uh, become one country again in both the letter and the intent of the law. I don't think they need to be punished. Uh, we don't need to be executing former Confederate leaders, hanging them. That's, that is bandied about. And we need to be sure that the newly freed black man is provided opportunity to live a life of freedom and not put back into a legal form of bondage with uh, Jim Crow laws that are talked about being passed. So, And the, the violence that's taking place in the South uh, has to be addressed. I'm hearing the cries from people who are suffering, and I haven't even taken office yet, uh, that I'm, I must need to do something to stop the violence against the black man in the South, and I will do everything I can do to stop that. I will strengthen the attorney general's powers if necessary. I will seek legislation. Uh, to, uh, if necessary, suspend the writ of habeas corpus to send in federal troops. I will engage the attorney general and have him engage federal marshals and federal judges in the South and tell them I expect arrests and convictions or I will replace them. So that's a, essentially that is what I plan to do at this time before actually taking office I cannot be more specific than that. Do you have any fear that the rebellion may ignite again? No, I do not, because, but I'm aware that it could if we don't treat our southern brethren in an appropriate and fair manner. For example, I, I mentioned a moment ago about uh, the, the talk about hanging Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis. Uh, as leaders of the, the rebellion and other Confederate high-ranking officials, cabinet generals, high-ranking officers, that that could start another rebellion. Uh, the Southerners are the, the Confederate soldier and statesman are men of honor, and if they say they won't fight again, they won't fight again, unless we go back on. 
this is something that people should be aware of. The word that I gave General Robert E. Lee on that afternoon on April the 9th of 1865 when General Lee surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia. In that brief document that I wrote him to uh, the Articles of Surrender, it was very simple. It was very short. I practiced an economy of language because I did not want to say anything in that document that anyone could argue with about what I meant. And I think I was successful so far. Four years later, it looks like I was. But I told General Lee that he and his men could return to their homes and not be disturbed in their persons or property as long as they obeyed the laws of their area. Now, that it didn't say they were going to be hanged or executed or tried as treason uh, or traitors. It said, I said, I gave General Lee my word. If you and your men will return to your various and several homes and obey the laws of your area, you will not be disturbed in your property or persons. And I meant it. And I told President Johnson there was an indictment issued for General Lee's arrest. And I told President Johnson, wrote him a statement that said, I did, I promised General Lee, to General Lee, I gave him my word that he would be left alone. He has obeyed the laws of this locality, and so far as I know, so have his soldiers and his former leaders. They did not agree to risk being tried and hanged. And I, I told General, uh, President Johnson, you may do whatever you do as politicians, but as a soldier, I gave my word to General Lee. He would not be hanged or tried for treason, and that's what must be abided by. And uh, frankly, it, it, General Lee, I don't think, would have ever surrendered if he had been told, if I had told him across that table in the McLean parlor at Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, we're going to hang all of you. I don't think he would have surrendered. So my approach is we're not going to hang anybody, but we are going to establish the rule of law in the South under a federal government. Now, did that promise apply to Jefferson Davis? Yes, I think uh, I did not consider that at the time, but now I would tell you, yes, it, it would extend to President or uh, Jefferson Davis. He's now sitting in prison at, at uh, Fort Morgan, Virginia. Uh, President Lincoln had said it wouldn't disturb him if Jefferson Davis escaped from the country uh, because President Lincoln did not want to go through the, a trial for treason with Jefferson. Davis and let the country heal, but that would have that would apply. If I promised General Lee and his men that if they obeyed the law, they wouldn't be hanged, and to come back now and to say we are going to try and hang you is a reversal of what they were told with the intent of the word of honor, and we we should not do that. President uh, Johnson quashed the the order for General Lee, the indictment of General Lee. Because I also told President Johnson, if you do this, I will resign as General of the Army. Who will be your successor as General of the Army? General Sherman. John, uh, Tecumseh, William Tecumseh Sherman. Will, I will name him as my successor when I become Commander-in-Chief. Uh, Something that uh, I think that I could mention at this uh, juncture is I resigned as general of the Army. I'm the first general of the Army in the United States military. Congress created uh, the rank of general of the Army with four stars as a designation, and uh, that would be general of the armies, and uh, I'm the first one. But I had to resign from the Army. I didn't retire. I resigned in order to run for the presidency. And I might add that on May the 21st of 1868, the Republican Party, some 650 delegates, 
to the Republican Party convention in Chicago unanimously nominated me. I'm, I'm proud of that. But I had to resign, I felt, in order to run for the office. Now, in resigning, rather than retiring, I am not uh, eligible for a pension. I hope that doesn't cause me a problem later in life, but uh, I don't anticipate that to be a problem. But when I take office, I intend to nominate uh, William Tecumseh Sherman to succeed me in, as a general of the Army. Well, President-elect Grant, thank you for what you've done for the country. Thank you for sharing the time with us. It has been a pleasure, and I look forward to meeting and talking with you again in the future. Okay, so if you want to see President Grant, Three West Club on March 12th. That's Monday, March 12th. We used to meet on Wednesday, but we switched the the meetings to Monday because it was easier to get everything done. So if you want to call for a reservation to see President-elect Grant, 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. Beth, you going to be there? I'm going to be there. Looking forward to it. I've, I think I better come up with my own questions to ask him. Mm, what questions would that be? I don't know. I'll surprise you. Okay. For I'll those, surprise you. For those of you the fans that have, uh, you know, the opera, Regina Opera Company, st- well, they've started already today, but it's too late for today. But on Sunday, March 4th, Sunday, March 11th, Saturday, March 10th, they're going to have their performances of Madame Butterfly. So if you have any questions about that, you know, I don't have the phone number here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure you can look it up on their website or whatever. So Regina Opera Company, look it up. Performances start in effect tomorrow, March 10th, March 11th. They do a good job at OPH on 6th Avenue and 60th Street in Brooklyn. So get on their website, Regina Opera Company. Beth, you have any comments well, about that? or the reason that, I mean, there are a lot of good opera companies, smaller opera companies around the, the city because it's a wonderful city for music. Um, Regina Opera Company happens to be our local one. So we, of course, want to support it all the time. And I would just say to everybody out there, support your local, um, whether it's an opera company or if it's a church and you've got music there. Um, musicians work very, very hard. Um, and it is, it's greatly appreciated when they look out and they see a full, a full crowd in the audience. So, um, it's just awfully nice to remember how hard people have to work to get to the, to the quality of the performers that we have in New York City. So we support Regina Opera Company and you go out and support all, all of your local people, wherever they are. Including David Kincaid. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. This hour is sponsored by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC.